Welcome to the Class of 1987 podcast. I'm your host, Tim Harkness. On this podcast, we will be speaking with members of the Yale College Class of 1987 about their lives, where they've been, where they are now, and where they are going. We plan to cover a wide range of topics and have people who represent the full range of our class's experience. The class of 1987 is the best class that Yale College has ever had, and we're here to celebrate that. So sit back and listen to what your classmates have to say. Well, welcome to the next edition of the Yale 87 podcast. And with me is Rob Long, who has just moved from L.A. to New York relatively recently. Welcome. Well, thank you. A couple of years, but I was bouncing back and forth, and then I decided, what, what am I doing? I, I like New York more, so. So here we are. We're actually in my office with a beautiful view of New York exactly. City. I know. This is the reason, right? This is why I moved. That's right. So why did you move? What, why the move? Well, I was in L.A. for 30 years, and I liked it. I still like it. I just, you know, I felt like I needed to do something different and see something different. I think L.A., is, I think it's not the same way now if you go there as a young person. By the time I was older, I'd been there a long time, and all my patterns were established, and all my tunnel vision had been erected. And it's sort of time to break out of that, I think, you know, especially when I think it was turned 50 or like maybe before I turned 50, I was like, this is, I need a change. Like it's a mill town if you're in the entertainment business. So everybody talks about the mill and every lunch conversations about who did this and who did that and who's doing this. And I just needed to walk around town, a big city and bump into people. Some, and, and, and that happens here. That really does happen. You bump into people. Some people you've known for a long time. Some people you've never met who just know you from something else. And that, that kind of thing is what I needed. Great. So you did begin your career in the entertainment industry. I know you've, now you do a variety of things. But tell me about that. How did you start off in writing? Well, I mean, I didn't have any other skills. I mean, I really didn't. Look, I'm speaking, we're all, you know, we're in the family here. This is the same, this is my family of 87. And in 87, you could you could be any kind of lawyer you wanted to be, or you could be an investment banker. And I thought, oh, I should be an investment banker. That seems easy. Which, by the way, in 87, it was, let's be honest. And I, so I applied one bank. I went to one bank. And the guy kind of looked at me and said, what are, you, what are you doing here? Like, what? there's nothing. And I thought, you're right. I don't, why am I... Why am I I don't know. So then I was taking a playwriting class at the time, or maybe I had already taken it. And one of the teachers had gone off, they were married, and, and she had gone off to LA to teach at the film school, the film film theater and television in, at UCLA. And her husband was finishing up his teaching at Yale, and he's going to meet her. And he he said to me kind of casually once, he goes, that's what you should do. You should go to film school. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll do that. And that's exactly how it happened. I thought, well, that's a thing. And it was school, technically, so no one, you know, didn't look like I was uh, shirking. I was going to school. School's going to get a degree. Right? Yeah, I'm a Yale student. You're you got to go, be legit. You got to be a good student to get into Yale. And so then I went, and I, I lasted about a year and a half. But that, I, you quickly figured out how the town worked. Entertainment was wide open. They did. It wasn't closed. They just didn't have. Nobody knew. At our year, nobody was sitting around writing a spec script the way they are now at college. Nobody knew what that was. I didn't know what that was. So I was there for about a year and a year and a half. And I discovered that in television, they eat up material every night and every night they need more material. And so if you're in the right place at the right time and you have the right material, you get hired. It's that simple. And I'd written a couple of plays with my writing partner, Dan Staley, who was class of 85. That we put them on we were, when we were undergraduates. And so we got together and wrote a little, he was in advertising here in New York. And we got together, wrote a couple of spec scripts and then I sent them around and then we got hired. I mean, really, it was that simple. By the way, if you're not in your mid-50s, <laughs> this is 
not encourage. I'm not encouraging you. When people, I have all my friends now who have kids who are roughly the right age who want to say, "Hey, their thing that he, my kid wants to let me be entertainment." I always say, "Okay, well, how do you want me to spin it? You want me to be encouraging, or the truth, tell the truth, or be discouraging?" And some say, "Oh no, encouraging. Go right ahead." But some say, "Listen, discouraging. I cannot afford four more years of this kid in L.A. trying to break into the show business." So, <laughs> like, like. So it's a little different now. Very different now. Very different now. So then you were a writer on Cheers. Yeah. One of the things that interests me is is contrasting the comedy of the 80s and the 90s with today and looking at sort of the canon of comedy from our youth and and young adulthood. Some of it's aged pretty well and is really timeless. And some of it really didn't age well. Yeah. I mean, some of it didn't age well because it's not funny. And it kind of never was funny, maybe. It was just kind of filler. I mean, it was easy. You had three networks, four networks, tops. So, like, you know, you look at what the networks were putting on TV at the time. It was one network would have a comedy, which meant the other networks would have, like, a news show or a cop show. And that was kind of how it worked. Um, so some stuff didn't last because it's not funny. But some stuff didn't last because it's no, <laughs> you can't, like, you can't say that stuff. Or it's it's so old and so um, discredited that you can't get past it. You can watch, I mean, you can, there are things that you can see that seem dated and have dated references to um, assumptions about, you know, race, gender, class, those sort of things. And you can still kind of laugh. Oh, okay, I get it. But there's some, some of it's stuff so outrageous that you're like, I, I can't, it's just, my brain is short-circuiting. I can't believe they actually did that. So how do you think about evolving mores as a writer today? Well, I think it's still the same thing. It's like you have to, it's like you have to tell the truth. And I don't mean that in a like pretentious way, although I think I do partly, but I also, you just have to tell the, you have to be true. It has to have some kind of truth to it. And if it sounds true and feels true, then most people will give you a pass. Some people won't. Some people really don't want, like they really are a little bit more doctrinaire than I am. But I think your audience will give you all sorts of latitude. If what you're saying is true, and it comes from a position of, a, of credibility, personal credibility. I mean, I was just talking to a, I was on a panel on the weekend and people were talking about like, how do you get that? How do you get those stories, you know, out there that are different from the story? I mean, when I was in, I was in a writer's room, I don't know, for 10 years and not one blackface, not one. My first boss was a female and she was a partnership with her husband and they were running Cheers, co-running Cheers with another guy. Very few women, zero non-whites. And that's something that, you know, like, eventually, I, I don't even mean on the morals rate, I mean, you know, on a business level, eventually you just run a string. It's like, what what stories are these people going to tell that are interesting? Like, I want more different stories. I want, like, that's so I think that's happening, and I think that's good. And when you have new voices and faces telling funny stories and telling funny jokes, you don't have to relate to it. I don't have to say, oh, that's, that's it's all still funny and interesting. It's sort of a long way of saying, I think, I think actually things... Seem like it's hard. I know a lot of people who do comedy, do stand-up comedy, say it's really hard now because everyone's like ready to be angry and pissed off at you. But on the other hand, there's just a lot more material out there that's fresh and different and exciting to like see somebody tell you their story and you never would have heard it otherwise. So do you think the proliferation of streaming services and alternative places to go for comedy or to, to be a release is, is been a real positive? I think on balance, yeah, choice is good, right? That's the upside. What do you, do you see downside? Yeah, the downside is that I think that if you want to just 
never encounter anything that may rub you the wrong way, you can. You know a lot about people by which news channel they watch. That's crazy. That's like, that's not good. And I think it goes to entertainment too. I yeah. look at, you know, it's fu it's funny. All of our classmates, we all grew up all over the world, literally, but we had a lot of the same cultural touchstones. That's right. We all had, yeah. you know, Mr. Work and Fantasy Island and, and those kind of references that whether we are into it or not, we knew what they were. And now I see the people in my children's generation, you know, and you have the Downton Abbey crew and you've got the Jersey Shore crew and you can really go to your own corner and watch whatever you want. And you may not have overlapping cultural touchdowns. You know, I think that may be true. <sighs> this is like, I always feel like an old person saying this. The young people are great. You know, you know the old people are like, oh, look at the energy and the creativity of the young youngsters. But I, I kind of do think that's true. Like our freshman year, you stood around and you made jokes about like Gilligan's Island reruns that you all watch when you were kids, right? And that was, and we all knew each other. We all watched the same things. And that was kind of how we connected. Now, I don't know if it's a show, but it's definitely a TikTok. I mean, some of them are really funny. Some of them are really good. Like, I hate saying this because, of course, it's just that it's like a, you know, people spend an hour on TikTok. They're not watching a show that I'm doing. But there's, I think there's that. The upside of it that I think there's a generation that's connected in a lot of ways that's good. The downside is that I think it's possible never to get out of your own cohort. And I, uh, that's, that's too bad. It's like, it's possible that you'll never encounter something that may not, that may even offend you a little bit. Like, I don't think that's the worst thing. Like, I think it's actually okay to be offended a little bit. You'll, you'll live. So looking forward, are there stories you haven't told yet you want to tell or medium that you want to go into that you haven't been in? Now I'm sort of more, I mean, I write my own stuff, but I also have this, like, I also try to, like, use the fact that I have, you know, a certain amount of experience. And if I, you know, if someone has a story to tell and I can sort of help get it to where it needs to get, I do that a lot. So I'm sort of involved in that really heavily right now in two projects that I really love that don't come from me, that I would be, I'm sort of unqualified to even write, but I am qualified to you know, help guide and help produce and help find the you know, elements and do all the stuff that like, that's not really creative work, but it's like bringing your experience to bear. So I do that. And then there's also stuff like, I know, I feel like this is like a classic writer's thing. It's like, I feel like we're in interesting age. Like all of us, we're, it's interesting for us. Like, I know maybe we're the only people interested in it, but it is interesting. <laughs> we are kind of straddling these two things that we were we're in the in, in between. And I think, I, I don't know whether you have the same way, but I think with me and my friends, my friends from Yale, how do we look at each other and say, what, what happened? That we got, we got old, like not, not in a bad way, but like. Yeah, we, we've gained experience and uh, perspective and we actually know how to do some of the things that we're doing and that we have more yeah. things we want to do. But I think there's something also about our generation. We showed up in college, at least I showed up with a typewriter and I left with a computer. So yeah, I think there's right. a, we, we are right. in a straddle time that's really unique to probably the the mid-80s to maybe the early 90s. And, and maybe it's even more narrow than that. I think it might be even more narrow. I have a young friend of mine who once we were talking about something, and, and he said, remember was that movie when the two women drive off a cliff? Thelma that, and Louise. Yeah, but he said, was that, was that Laverne and Shirley? It's <laughs> like, what? You know, it all kind of packs up. Shlemiel, right? Like, right, but it's like, it doesn't like, it's all it the just cliff. in the yeah, back. Yeah. And it's like, at a certain point, it's like looking in the back for the, you know, a telephoto long lens, right? Mm -hmm. and then there's no depth of field. You don't know the difference between, the, you know, 77 and 83. What the hell? It's all the same. 
But for us, all that's like spread out. That's like, oh, I remember Star Wars. I remember the standing the line. And I don't know, every generation has that, but I feel like our generation, maybe we're we're paying more attention to ourselves, like not in a bad way, but emotionally, like what, what, how we feel, how we feel about our kids and our lives and the coworkers. And I mean, I think we're a little bit more, I think we're a lot more emotional in my experience of our generation and our class then, well, I'm not qualified to say any other class, but I, I, I am, I, I think, then what I imagined we would be like when I was at Yale. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. And I have to say, part of it is, at least for me, watching, having lost one parent, watching another parent age, and also seeing my children go into the world, there are certain aspects of the change since ni- the 80s that I'm really excited about for them. And there's some of it that gives me some trepidation. Yeah. And I try to think, well, where, where am I going to be in that that whole mix? Where, you know, is our whole family going to be in that mix? So, yeah, I think it's time of reflection, at least it is for many of us. Yeah, and I think also you, like, you're aware that, you know, my dad died two years ago. And, well, I think, uh, but it was, I, cr- I was crushed. I mean, I, I was actually, happened very fast, but I was also surprised. I mean, I I mean, I knew it was going to happen. I mean, this is what this is the path. This is the journey. This is what happens. But I remember thinking that other stuff happened to me in my heart or my personality or whatever when that happened. Like you just you like you're aware that like oh, oh this is actually happening. Like mm-hmm. this is the life that I have. Like I'm not preparing for anything. This is it. And I think sometimes, especially we're hyper competitive school, we are like all aware of each other, and we like you know you open the newspaper sometimes you say hey, I don't know that guy I went to college with that guy. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not. Right? Sometimes it's like suddenly your phone is blowing up with text messages from New Yorker writers that you don't want to talk to. But I think that the, that at some point you have to say, "Oh no, I'm it's I'm fine. Like I'm okay. Like I don't have to be the person I thought I was going to be, or the have to live the life I thought I was going to live, or the life that I think other people expected from me. Like no, I'm like I'm it. I'm not done, but I'm it. Like this is me. So." And that happened for me a little later, and I think for some people happens later. Some people haven't ha- happened before, and and some people I know from, I, we were in school with who were like just kind of arrived at Yale like fully like they were like fully baked who they yeah, were going like, to be. And I'm sure they weren't right. I'm sure that we all we they weren't. But if I would thought like that, that person's got it all figured out. Yeah, I definitely wasn't. In that <laughs> I definitely wasn't either. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the conversation. Please remember that this podcast is being brought to you by the 35th reunion of the greatest class Yale College has ever known, the great class of 1987. Our reunion will be in New Haven, Connecticut, June 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th in Pearson College. We hope to see you there. Now, back to the conversation. So let me switch gears a little bit. One of the other things I know you've been working on is the website Ricochet and trying to uh, foster a constructive dialogue, political dialogue. Is that fair characterization? Yeah, that's good, yeah. You join, you're a member, you have to pay a little bit. And our theory is if you pay a little bit to join the club, you don't trash it. You know, people post, well, it's all member-driven. So the members, like, will write an essay, and then other members will respond. And we have a sort of, we call a dress code for comments, like this, like, we're so restrictive. I don't think you can even say hell or damn. Like, you have to just, you know, be draconian about it so that there's no creeping, you know. And it's been fairly successful, a friend who's a psychologist who says that, well, no, it'll never work because it's online and anonymous. No, it's not anonymous, but it's online. The, ne- the human tendency is just to be a jerk if you don't see the face of the person you're being a jerk to. And I think that's partly true. So I'm not sure that, I'm not, I'm not sure that 
but by the way, this is not a, this is clearly not part of my investor's deck, but I'm not sure the business model works. I'm not sure. I mean, I think that we, we need to be much closer to each other. Like it's impossible to hate up close, I think. So do you think that there's hope for the political dialogue in our country? Can people who are on different sides of political discussions have a civil discourse? Well, I mean, I think no, not right now, because I think we decided every single thing is political, everything. And we just sort of pushed aside the personal. And I think there are a lot of people, we need to just take a break from arguing about politics and just tell each other how how we feel without without requiring another person to validate it or not validate it or argue it or support it or, you know, just some, there's just some level of, we, we all know so much now about each other, much more than we ever did because we're, you know, just we're so, we're attached to each other on, by a phone. And it used to be able to live in a neighborhood and really not know the person three doors down was this horrible, shitty Nazi. Like you just wouldn't know. And now we know. Or we know that we think or think we know. And so we just don't have the other piece to it which is the, I, mean, I don't really care what your opinions are, honestly. I don't really care what your opinions are. Like, opinions, everybody's got opinion. You're, you're a Yale grad. You're, like, you're filled with opinions. Mm-hmm. I just, I care more about, like, what you what you care about. Like, with your life. Like, why you wear what you wear. Why you eat what you eat. Like, that, that to me, even as a storyteller, is the only thing that matters. I don't really, I just, I mean, I am personally exhausted by politics and, like, talking about it. I'm much more interested in people telling me, tell, tell me what the story was. Right. Right. So thinking about our reunion that's coming up next June, what would you want it to be about? Would you be just purely sharing each other's life stories? Yeah, totally. I would like to hear people tell just, I mean, this sounds so, I don't know why I moved from LA. I sound like some such an LA character, but, and, and maybe this is just me projecting, but you know, we spent so much time fronting in college and then outside and then out of college, you look at the alumni notes and even though they're really nice and sweet and everything, you keep thinking, oh, I'm not, I am not measuring up. I have just not measured up. And then I would like to, I would like everybody to go to the union and, and realize they did measure up. They're all, it's all great. And I want to hear stories. I don't really want to hear opinions. I want to hear, like, just tell me what a funny story or a moving story or what you learned, you know, in 1998 that you forgot or something personal. Mm-hmm. Break down the whatever those, and I feel like that will will set I, my Pollyanna view of the world is that we'll do that, and then we'll all realize that it's where politics are not what either divides us or connects us. Like it's a separate thing. What divide what connects us is the fact that we have these great stories, and and a lot of them we share. A lot of those feelings we share. Well, that's the whole point of the podcast is trying to to share that. <laughs> yeah. So, and I know you have a podcast, Martini Shot. Yeah, yeah. So I do a three minute, four minute. I did a four minute commentary for sixteen years on LA Public Radio, and COVID happened, and they decided, okay, maybe time to take a break. And they wrote me a very nice email about, you know, we're just taking a rethinking it, and, and I'm like, no, I did this for sixteen years. It's time for somebody else to do it. But I still like doing it, so I still do it. So if you, so I have a, you know. It's on the podcast. You go to Martini Shot and my name, you'll find it. So I listened to some. Oh, okay. And so one of them, you're talking about your penchant for barbecue. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So just what do you like to cook and why? Well, I went I went to cooking school for a month, a month and a half maybe, in Paris in the 90s. I imagine it wasn't a barbecue cooking school. No, but you know what? It's not not, by the way. I mean, barbecue, what's barbecue? It's a slow-cooked- Over a fire. Slow-cooked beef, slow-cooked pork- if you're classic Southern barbecue, slow cooked, smoke, low heat, pork, 
it melts, and then you put it on some kind of bread and with some kind of sauce, usually a fruited, fruity sauce, which is essentially French, what we call cuisine bourgeoise, right? A braise plus something plus some kind of bread. By the way, it's mushu pork too, and it's also a carnitas taco. It's this. It's not different. So I, I lo- that's what I like to cook. I like to cook sort of old, old lady French food because it feels to me like, or Southern, which I actually feel are very, very similar, if not basically identical. Just tra- just uh, Google translate it, essentially. Not even, <laughs> you know, just this for this, this for this, this for this. Perfect, perfect. So what's the best thing you've made recently? You know, I've been really bad recently. I haven't made anything in a while, but I did do this thing. I had people in and I have a, a roof. So you sit up on the roof. I can make it more in 1987. I am subletting an apartment from a classmate forever because he lives in Paris now. He's got a roof deck. So I'm sitting on the roof deck and I made this really cool, it's like a tartatin, but it's not, tartatin is like apples, but instead I used, I was sort of savory. So I used shallots and just piled them up. And so they got super like sweet and caramelized and everything. And it was like fantastic. And people were like, oh, this is brilliant. But it was too, it got too dark because we all drank too much wine and nobody could see how like, because we, upsta- we were outside, how beautiful it was. It made me really mad. So I had like, our iPhones were shining and it doesn't look, so it, <laughs> it, it was much better than it looked. I'm sure. Well, it sounds like it was delicious. So now we're at the point of the podcast where we get to a, what we call the lightning round. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a couple rapid fire questions and it. see how we do. First of all, what food should we serve at Reunion? Oh, Naples pizza. Naples pizza. All right. So you're not Sally's, not Pepe's. You would go for the Naples. That's where I went because I was lazy. I wasn't going to walk away down there. Although that's better. But but and also you can't serve Naples pizza anymore because it doesn't exist. So could you, could we recreate it? Yeah, oh yeah, you could recreate it. It wasn't that great. Yeah. But it was just there, you know? So what song should be on the, the uh, reunion playlist? Oh, man. Isn't that weird? Because I'm thinking it like Burning on the House. The iconic yeah. song of our, our class, I think. Yeah. That's probably right. That's probably right. What comedies should people be watching now? Oh, now? Oh, man, that's hard. I don't know. I really can't, I can't answer that. I haven't been watching them, unfortunately. I've been, you know, I got to put yourself on a strict diet with this stuff. Otherwise you'll watch TV all day. I don't know. That's really good. I don't, I, I can't answer that. I'm, my mind's a blank. So what classic TV show should people watch? Well, Cheers. They should watch Cheers. Clearly Cheers. Yeah. Do you have a favorite episode of Cheers? Oh, you know what I do? And it was one written by another Yale graduate, David Lloyd. And it was called Diane's Cat or something. And it was kind of a sad one, but it was beautiful. And it was early on. I, 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 wasn't, I don't think I was even at Yale when it was on. I think I was in high school. And it's great. It's a great episode. Uh, but I mean, if you want classic TV and you, and you, you think it's jerky that I said, cheer, cheers. Uh, any Dick Van Dyke show is still, the Dick Van Dyke show is still incredibly, incredibly brilliant. Uh, really, really funny. And even I've been rewatching for some reason, oh, I know, the Andy Griffith show. Because it's like, it reminds me of Ted Lasso. So Ted Lasso, you can watch Ted Lasso. Because he's kind of Andy Griffith, except he's sort of modern because he's a little bit of a jerk too. But Andy Griffith was genius, like a genius show, like super sad and weird and like was watched a bunch of them recently. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for for spending the time with us. And I'm sure the classmates are going to be excited to hear what you had to say. Yeah, I'm excited to hear what they have to say too. All right. Sounds good. A world where people were isolated by a pandemic, forced to live their lives remotely in an endless parade of Zoom meetings. One Yale College class dared to break the mold. 
the Yale College class of 1987 is planning what no Yale College class has ever tried before, at least not for a while. An in-person reunion, June 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th, 2022. We will be gathering in Pearson College. Be there for engaging discussions, nightly revelry, and way too much New Haven pizza, if there ever could be such a thing. We'll wrestle with age-old questions like, maybe I look better in a mask, what do you think? Who or what is a bula? What in the world am I going to do with no kids in the house? These questions and more will be answered at our 35th college reunion. Be there. That's it for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been the Y87 podcast, the official podcast of the greatest class that Yale College has ever known. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you have any comments or questions or would like to appear as a guest, please email me at timothy.p.harkness at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.